You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The scripture reading this afternoon is taken from the book of Deuteronomy. Let's turn to chapter 6. We'll read the verses 13 to 25. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, Before our eyes the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Let's now turn to the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, and the articles 13, 14, and 15. Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 13. This assurance, it says in the heading, does not lead to carelessness. There it reads, neither does this renewed confidence produce careless or neglect of godliness in those who have been restored after their fall. Rather, it produces in them a much greater concern to observe carefully the ways of the Lord which he prepared beforehand. They observe these ways in order that by walking in them they may retain the certainty of their perseverance. Then shall the face of their gracious God not turn away from them again because of their abuse of his fatherly goodness with the result that they would fall into still greater anguish of spirit. Indeed, to those who fear God, the contemplation of his face is sweeter than life, but its withdrawal is more bitter than death. Article 14, the use of means and perseverance. Just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the preaching of the gospel, so he maintains, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, threats, and promises, and by the use of the sacraments. Article 15, this doctrine is hated by Satan, but loved by the church. This doctrine of the perseverance of true believers and saints, and of their assurance of it, God has most abundantly revealed in his word for the glory of his name, and for the consolation of the godly, 
and he impresses it on the hearts of believers. It is something which the flesh does not understand. Satan hates, the world ridicules, the ignorant and hypocrites abuse, and the heretics attack. The bride of Christ, on the other hand, has always loved this doctrine most tenderly and defended it steadfastly as a treasure of inestimable value. And God, against whom no counsel can avail and no strength can prevail, shall see to it that she will continue to do so. To this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the honor and glory forever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, today, this afternoon, we have arrived at the end of our treatment of the canons of Dort. For those of you who have been keeping track, we began this series on February the 5th, 2006. And now on this day, September the 10th, 2006, we have come to the end. And so for almost seven months, we have been busy with the least known of our Reformed confessions. And what this also means is that now is as good a time as any to ask, what exactly have we learned? Well, as one of your preachers, I hope that you have learned something more about the heights and the depths and the widths of your salvation. I know I have. In particular, I hope you've learned something more about the grace of God and how about how God has rescued us from death and depravity about how unworthy we are and how abundantly gracious He is. And I hope, too, you've learned something about your salvation. For the catechism has, or the canons have repeatedly reminded us that our salvation is not feeble or fickle. It does not rest on the deeds or performance of men and women. No, ultimately it rests on the deep decrees of the Lord our God. And I hope as well that you've learned something about faith and about the fact that this is not something that is homegrown, invented by us or to be attributed to us. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, it is a gift of God. The fact that you may believe and embrace the triune God is the work of his word and spirit in your hearts. The God who creates it maintains it, and sustains it. He makes it grow, and he causes it to sprout. And above all, I hope, beloved, you've learned something about your God, because ultimately our salvation is all about him. He is the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He is the Lord. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he deserves all the credit, as it says at the end of Article 15, to this God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. Amen. You know, if the canons have sought to do one thing all along the way, it is this. To protect and to promote the name of God in the salvation of men. 
The fact that you and I may live in newness of life today is his doing. His doing alone. To God be the praise. But nevertheless, before we now finally say amen to this look of the canons, there are some final articles to look at for a moment. Articles that in particular round off this doctrine of the assurance of believers or the perseverance of the saints. Therefore, I'd like to preach to you on the theme this afternoon, living daily out of the assurance and confidence of our faith. Well, beloved, biblical doctrine is meant for biblical living. And you can say the same applies here. We are not just to be in theology in order to know more, but ultimately to live better and closer with our God. So in a way, what does this teaching about assurance, how does it make an impact on our lives? Well, for an answer, you can turn, first of all, to Article 13 of the Canons here. And now I think I must tell you that the heading here is a bit off the mark. When it says this assurance does not lead to carelessness, it is describing, I believe, a secondary matter. And a better heading would have been, this assurance observes carefully the ways of the Lord. But what is the point? It's that once you understand how God keeps his children in the face through thick and thin, through all the ups and downs of life, that you get a much better appreciation of what he's doing in your life. But not just a a better appreciation, but also a deeper commitment. A deeper commitment to his will, to his holiness, to his name. The canons state that it produces in those who have been restored after the fall a much greater concern to observe carefully the ways of the Lord. What does that mean? What are the canons trying to get at? Well, perhaps you could compare it to a man who is dirt poor. A man who lives in a hut without running water, without toilet facilities, without any of the creature comforts we're so accustomed to. A man who wakes up in the morning not knowing where he is going to find his daily sustenance. A man who always has to scrounge around and beg. Some days he eats, but many other days he does not eat. His life is being lived on the edge every day. On the edge of poverty and on the edge of death. Now, beloved, when such a man is suddenly rescued, washed, fed given proper accommodation, a good job, the possibility of the future, what do you think? Do you soon, do you think that he will soon forget where he came from? And even more than that, do you not think that he will do everything he can to retain and to hold on to what he has now so wondrously received? Surely he will do everything he possibly can to keep his newfound wealth and status and affluence. Now transfer that to us as believers. 
At one time after the fall, we were dead in sin and trespass. We were living in darkness. We were lost. We were wretched. But then God came along and, and this God, he, he rescued us. He picked us up and he cleaned us off and he forgave us our sins and, and he renewed our lives and our hearts and our tongues. And he saved us. God did. God alone. And because of that, will we not do everything that we can to stay in good standing with this great God? Or are we going to bite the hand that fed us? Is it so, is it not so that we will not soon forget his character, his generosity, his love and mercy? Now that's the point that the canons want to to make here. A man who has received so much, a woman who has been so abundantly blessed by this God, will not soon wander off into carelessness and indifference. No, they will keep a constant eye on their Redeemer God. They will stick as close to Him as they can. They will do His will eagerly. They will latch onto him as nothing else in this life. And beloved, in that connection, it should also be noted that twice the articles, in these articles, the canons refer to the face of God. Those who have been rescued by God want to make sure that his Face is always turned towards them and is shining upon them. They want God to look at them. They even long to see His face. And surely we can understand that. A bad habit that some people have is that they talk to you but they don't look at you. Sometimes people may even have their back turned to you and they're talking to you. Well, in addition, it may be said that when people get mad, we sometimes even refuse to look at those who are the reason for our anger. In a way, you know, that's, that's how we show our disgust. That's how we get even. That's how we let someone know that they have really, really offended us. We don't even want to look at them. Well, something similar is going on here in this language of the canons. The true believers say the canons want God to look at him or her. They want his face to shine upon their life. And that means they want to be on the receiving end of his love and grace and warmth and mercy and goodness and care every day. The psalmist expresses the following deep desire. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And at the same time, he has a great fear. And thus he pleads, do not hide your face from your servant. 
You see, redeemed saints wants God's face to be turned towards them and to shine upon them. And they know that the only way they will keep, this will keep on happening to them is if they as well keep on looking to Him, listening to Him, observing His ways, walking in them. It's called living every day in communion. Well now, beloved, that's a a reminder to all of us. Sometimes we forget about God's ways and we're only concerned about our ways, our agendas, our pursuits, our pleasures. But when we live like that, what happens? Invariably, our lives go off the rails. They descend into emptiness, if not into silliness. And sometimes they hit the wall and line roots. But the canons, according to the scriptures, remind us that that need not happen and it will not happen if we remain sensitive to the Lord and his ways, if we live in daily fellowship with him, if we listen to his word and follow his direction. Beloved, seek the face of your God every day. And indeed, what can be better than that? How true are the last words of Article 13. Indeed, to those who fear God, the contemplation of His face is sweeter than life, but its withdrawal is more bitter than death. And so, beloved, we are to keep on observing the ways of the Lord. But at the same time, we are also, the canons remind us, to occupy ourselves with the means of grace. And what are those means of grace? Well, Article 14 reminds us the preaching of the gospel and the use of the sacraments. There are these two means, these two instruments that God uses to keep us in the faith. And the first is the word. The canon state that this work of gracious assurance is maintained, continued, and perfected by its hearing and its reading. Quite simply, hearing and reading the word keep one in the faith. And of course, that doesn't come as a surprise to you, does it? We've entered into the month of September, and it's a month that's connected with schools reopening, with catechism classes soon recommencing, and also with Bible study groups once again beginning to meet. And around this time of year, you will surely get to hear something about the need to to read and to, to study the Word. The pulpit will mention it, the elders will remind you about it, and your fellow believers will invite you to it. And why all of this stress on on Bible study, on its hearing, on its reading? Is it overblown? Is it overdone? No, for that's how we stay connected to our God 
and to his work of grace in our lives. That's how you live close to him and to his will. That's how you grow in the faith. That's how you mature, how you develop roots. How you're able to stand when the winds and the misfortunes of life blow all over you. You need to be rooted in the word of the living God. And that's not all. For notice the canons remind us this word needs to be heard, it needs to be read, it also needs to be processed. The canons use the term meditation here. And what's meditation? Well, that's all about thinking, isn't it? That's all about using all of that gray matter upstairs here that God has has given you. That gray matter that so often is not being used as well or as much as it should be. In the world, there is this expression, use it or lose it. Well, to some extent, that expression applies in the church and to the Word of God as well. You need to take this word, you need to read it, and you need to turn it over and over in your mind. You need to think about it, to reflect on it, to look at its angles and its applications. You need to mentally digest the word of God. And specifically notice it says, You need to digest three things. You need to digest exhortations, threats, and promises. That's what it says in Article 14. Now, we like number one. We like number three. We don't like number two, which speaks about threats. And yet... If you think about the scriptures, they're there, aren't they? We've read Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can continue to read on in that particular book of the Bible and you will meet this threesome time and time again. You meet this threesome in the book of Psalms, in the Gospels, in the Epistles. No matter where you turn in the scriptures, You cannot avoid exhortations, threats, and promises. You need exhortations to keep you going on the way. You need threats to warn you about the dangers and the consequences of walking off the way. And you need promises to sustain you as you travel every day on the way. Yes, we need this threesome mentioned here by the canons. And in addition, we need one more thing as well. We need the sacraments. We need to be reminded that we are children of God and heirs of His covenant. We need to be reminded that we have a living Savior who has saved us, who loves us, who keeps us, who nourishes us. 
Yes, and beloved, you can say that every celebration of the sacraments, and that applies in a way to baptism, but it surely applies to the Lord's Supper as well, is, is a visible and a graphic reminder that God continues to live in and with and among his people. And every celebration of the Lord's Supper and also this one here this afternoon is a reminder to you that as food sustains your physical, outward, earthly life, so this food is going to feed and nourish your souls to life everlasting. It communicates to us the gospel in a very visible way. And it is given to assure us of God's goodness and mercy in Christ. God uses the sacraments along with the word to keep us in this holy, Catholic, undoubted Christian faith. Yes, beloved, in that keeping, that perseverance is a most wonderful teaching. And it truly is something you can say that should be at the heart of our thankfulness to God. And it should be a real stimulant in our lives. You can read about Article 15 where the, the canons say that the doctrine of perseverance of true believers and saints and their, of their assurance of it God has most abundantly revealed for the glory of His name, for the consolation of the godly. And He impresses it upon the hearts of believers. God has abundantly revealed this. Why? Because he loves this teaching. The canons even say he wants to impress it on the hearts of his children. That's why the word is so full of it. That's why he keeps confronting us with it. But at the same time, we are also reminded that there are those who do not know what to do with this particular teaching or even reject it. It is something that the flesh does not understand. Satan hates, the world ridicules, the ignorant and the hypocrites abuse, and the heretics attack. A long list of enemies of detractors. A long list of those who are out to undermine your faith, your confidence, your assurance, your certainty. The enemies are many. But in the church of Jesus Christ, in the bride of Christ, it is different. Here is a teaching that we love and prize treasure and esteem. We may rejoice, beloved, in the knowledge that our salvation is sure and certain. We may praise our God for keeping us or from bringing us back from serious sin. We may laud him every day for being so good and kind 
so merciful and gracious, so faithful and so compassionate. Beloved, be of good cheer. Your faith in Jesus Christ is meant to last. And one day, it will overcome the world. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.